Hey, podcast family. Welcome to Motherhood in Black and White. My name is Kanji. I'm Tara. How are you? I'm great. You are great. How are you? I am doing so well. We are in the last month of 2021. How and I is could, that possible? These last two years, looking back on them, they've really just flown by. Agreed. I feel like 2020 didn't even happen. I was writing the date today and I go, oh my God, I don't know how we're already two years past. Yeah. Mm. I was looking at trying to figure out what my 2022 calendar is going to look like. And I'm still in denial. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I am too. There's several things that are coming up in 2022 that have been on the radar for two or three years in some instances. And I can't believe that we're actually going to get there. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Not too far. Not too far. We have a couple of things that we're celebrating this month. One of them is being your graduation from graduate school. That's right. I am two weeks away from graduation. And how do you feel about this latest accomplishment? I am officially into finish line mode and what that means for me is that during the day just randomly I'll start to get choked up like I just do this thing I get emotional about finish lines when I'm working on something like I've been working on this when I know it's coming up and it's about to finish like I do get a little emotional until it's done yeah yeah it's such a huge accomplishment and one thing that I've loved watching the last year of your journey going through graduate school while you're working full-time and working as a Cub Scout mother, whatever it is you do. <laughs> Den leader. Den leader. And and raising your son. It's it's what this must mean for your son. Mm. Because you are modeling such obviously I can't put it into words because I'm terrible with words, everything I do, but you're just modeling what is possible. And you're showing that to your son with everything that you do. And you're going to make me cry on the podcast. Oh, no. (laughs) But thank you for that. I mean, it's interesting. We've been talking about it a little bit. and He's very excited because he's going to get to go to the graduation. And I don't know if I shared this on the podcast. So if I did, family, sorry, I'm saying it again. But I wasn't sure if I was going to walk. And Jason and I were talking about it. And I go, you know what? I think the only reason I'm actually going to do it is so the gauge can see it. You know, that just felt important. And Jason's like, uh, yeah, 100% you should walk. It's so, it's a big deal. And what's interesting is when I graduated with my bachelor's, I was pregnant with Gage. Mm. So he'll technically be at both of my college graduations. Oh, that is so special. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. You know, and I think when we set our kids up for success by showing them kind of this is the roadmap. These are things that are possible. He's seen you work hard. He's Mm -hmm. seen you put in the effort and the work and you're doing it. Everything is possible for him. Uh, Yeah, I hope that that's what it looks like for him. I hope that he's proud of me and he sees that there's just no limit to what someone can do. Well, he's an adolescent boy, so he may not be proud of you. (laughs) He may not be. That's true. He may be at the graduation on one of his devices like, why should I look up now, mom? Oh, he will be totally bored for sure Mm. at the graduation. You know, it it, it just is. It's for the the bigger story is when we think about like who we are and what we're doing and how we're setting our kids up for success and what we're modeling for them. We recently were talking about some of the things that we've been doing the last few weeks to kind of enjoy time with our family. And the one thing that my family did together a couple of weeks ago, and I would love to talk about because I know that you and your family did it was we watched the story of Richard Williams, Venus and Serenus Williams father, Mm -hmm. uh, King Richard, the movie with Will Smith. That's right. And we did watch it too. Yes. Did you have lots of popcorn? 
Um, no, it, we did it on like a lazy Saturday morning right after the holidays. So we were just kind of laying in bed like, let's turn this on before anybody gets up. <laughs> well, I know I'm probably setting myself up here because I have asked you before your feedback on certain pop culture events and shows and you tend to like things I don't like, but <laughs> what were some of your thoughts on the movie King Richard and kind of how Richard Williams was represented in that um, that biopic? I um, first of all, I think Will Smith did an amazing job. He did a really great job with that role. I thought he did well, and um, I loved. I'm not gonna. I don't know their names, but I love the ladies that played Venus and Serena. I thought they did a great job as well. What I enjoyed about the movie is that I think it definitely got the message across that he was a flawed man, like not a perfect father who did all these things and got these children to where they were. You know, you see him struggle and there's some errors and he definitely, you know, gets kind of single track minded. But I thought they did a really good job with that, not setting him up on this giant pedestal, but actually telling the story a little bit more closely to how it probably happened. Yeah. And both Venus and Serena Williams were executive producers mm -hmm. of that film. And if I remember it correctly from an interview with Will Smith, he shared that they did not put their names down as executive producers until after they had seen the final cut of right. the movie. That's and right. so it had to get their approval. Um, you know, I remember so much of their story growing up because when they were coming up just a few years younger than I am, I was in California and I remember what it was like for me to see Venus Williams um, come on the scene mm -hmm. because I'd never seen a black girl play tennis before. Yeah. In eighth grade, I took a few tennis lessons at my school and I was kind of like, what am I doing this for? Right. <laughs> right. This doesn't feel like my wheelhouse <laughs> <laughs> at all. But having them open the door for so many young women and young girls of color, that they are no longer going to be the first in that situation. I can't even imagine the weight that must have been on Venus Williams' shoulders. And there is a scene in the movie where, you know, Richard Williams is portrayed as having this conversation with her. Right. About what it means and how she was just not going to be um, out there for Venus, but for all little black girls everywhere and opening the door and paving that path. And seeing where she is now as a 40 something year old woman, Venus Williams, all I would say is to her, like, thank you. She did it with such grace and class. She owned that moment and she's owned her place in history. And both of them have, both of them have Venus and Serena. Yeah. And, and I wasn't as close to that story. I mean, I knew who they were, but I was just not into tennis and I was a little bit younger. So it just wasn't, I knew who they were and I knew that it was a big deal. And I think what I really liked about, watching them come out and dominate and and in the movie i paid attention to it as well is that i think even when i was younger and i was watching them start playing and getting more press i loved that they were themselves yeah you know that they they didn't show up in a uniform that everybody else was wearing and they didn't you know change who they were they were themselves from like day one to today and I've always loved them, that about those two. You know, and we look at 
how much of their success is because their parents had the plan. Yes. And so often during the movie, Richard Williams was saying, we got a plan. We're sticking to this plan. Yeah. And that has been what their parents kind of put on them and spoke over them since they were very young girls that you were going to be tennis champions Mm -hmm. and put them on that course and on that path. And you and I, Tara, have talked a few times about what it's like to parent with intentionality. Right. You know, and to set up um, your kids and have a plan for what you want their life to be. And I think that Richard um, and Oracine Williams, the parents of Venus and Serena, they got really fortunate because not only did they have a plan for their kids, but their kids wanted to be a part of that plan. I know that's always the tricky part, right? Of course, like I can come up with a great plan, but... I don't know if Gage is going to cooperate on everything. You know what I'm saying? So I I agree with you that it was, I mean, it turned out nicely that those two were into, they were into it and they wanted to be those champions and they wanted to do that. They wanted to follow that plan. Because we will do our kids a great disservice if we try to get them to live our dreams. Right. And I have witnessed so many situations where, even being on the sidelines of watching parents place their dreams and their hopes and expectations on their children. Mm-hmm. And the results are that you you have these people that are growing up and probably sitting right next to me in therapy, right? Right, exactly right. Well, and I, they show that in the movie too, that he saw some of that in, you know, one of the paths to becoming a tennis superstar clearly was to go through this junior circuit and, Uh, he saw how that was burning kids out through that part and how parents were putting too much. And so it's interesting that his plan allowed for both laser focus, but also space to be a kid and to have real experiences and not just not just be on tennis. Right. I thought that was really impressive. The film gives us an opportunity to have the benefit of hindsight with the Venus and Serena Williams story, because we've all seen over the last 25 years how their careers have played out, how their lives have played out. Both of them are philanthropists Mm -hmm. and how both of them are very successful, not just in their careers, but also in their personal lives Mm -hmm. and give back so much to the communities um, that they've come from. And so that was good to see because we're when watching the movie real time, it's like, oh, we know how this is going to work out. Right. Yes. Yes. I just wonder kind of like what our parenting story is going to be like, like 30 or 40 years from now. Mm -hmm. Will I be Queen Kanji? (laughs) I mean, you already are Queen Kanji, but I don't know on a parenting. I don't know if Roman's going to think that. (laughs) Right. I don't don't think nobody will be watching that biopic. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I think we're just going to be the regular story here in town, just like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. So, So I was disappointed that the film did not do very well in the box office when it was released at the end of November. A lot of people, I hope, chose to watch it at home because it was available on home streaming services as well as in the movie theaters. Right. And podcast family, if you have not seen the movie, it is a family-friendly movie. I think it's a good movie, again, to watch with our kids and then having conversations that can be started um, based on watching the movie. Like, can you imagine what it must have been like to be the first to be something? To And our kids are growing up knowing, I think, who Venus and Serena Williams are to some extent, even though they're at the end of their tennis careers. Yeah. But it's good for them to see that this is not 
who they were. This is what they worked hard to become. Right, right. And I like the idea of talking about what it must have been like to be the first. I also like, you know, you get to see that these two girls had to deal with some stuff and they did it and they kept doing it and they kept working and they kept doing it. And here they are. Yes. I love that. And to honor your parents. Uh, Please do whatever your parents say, because we know best (laughs) and we're going to make a plan and that's how you're going to be successful. (laughs) So in between finishing up your graduate school degree and the holidays, you had a chance to watch King Richard and on a scale of one to five stars, what would you give it? Oh, one to five. Um, I'd give it a four and a half. I give it a four and a half. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to not be too superlative. I feel like I'm always like, it was amazing. It was awesome. So I'll take it down a half a star. <laughs> You're like, if they had Zac Efron in the cast, <laughs> oh it would have gotten five stars. It would be wildly strange. But... <laughs> no, nope. Because they should have cast Zac Efron as like the young John McEnroe. <laughs> and then it would have gotten five stars. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe. This is probably going to shock you, but I agree with you. I would give it four and a half stars. Well, there you go. Look at us agreeing on a media... Um, product. It'll never happen again. Never again. Never no, again. I don't think so. So the other uh, show that has recently been released on uh, the streaming platform HBO Max mm-hmm. as well is a mini series or a limited series. Docu-series? Docu-series, docuseries I think is appropriate. Think, yeah. It's the docu-series called Black and Missing. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you and I have been talking about offline and we've been watching separately. Yes. Yeah. What are some of your thoughts on on that show? And is it something that you would watch with your with your son? So that show is incredible. And it's it can be difficult to watch, obviously. Um, you know, as we talk about it, essentially... Uh, for those who are listening who haven't seen it yet, it is um, primarily about children of color who have gone missing and don't get media coverage, are often not found or found much later. And there's a foundation in Baltimore. I'm pretty sure it's Baltimore. Black and Missing Foundation. And these two women have made it their mission to get media coverage for these cases and to find these kids. I mean, they're out canvassing streets with flyers for not just children, but adults that have gone missing in these neighborhoods. And I watched the first couple episodes by myself. And then there's four episodes. And then about halfway through the third episode, Gage wandered in and sat down with me. And he was kind of playing his switch. And I was just kind of playing it hot or cold. Like the show does talk about hard topics, but they don't dig too deep into some of the circumstances that I may not have let him sit around for like very specific traumas, but I let him sit with me and he, before the fourth episode started, he said, Hey, can I watch the last episode with you? I need to go take a shower, but will you wait so I can watch it with you? And he watched the entire last episode with me. Hmm. Yeah. Before I get your son's um, impression on what he thought Mm -hmm. about the black and missing series, let me just say that the one of the executive producers of that show, Soledad O'Brien, mm-hmm. did an amazing job. Amazing. Um, I followed her career for many, many years, and I am so thankful that she has shown a light on this issue and she handled it with such grace and class. And I would love to have her on our podcast. I would, too. And it's funny you mention that. We are working on a little something, hoping to maybe get Soledad on the show. 
Okay. So there's that. So if we get her on the show, yes. I'm going to probably scream out loud, not in the microphone, of course, because <laughs> that would hurt everybody's ears. But I, yeah, I think we're going to try to get her on the next couple of weeks. That's right. So if we podcast family, if you are listening and you want to know if we are successful in getting Soledad O'Brien on, just go ahead and follow uh, the show and you will be the first to be alerted when that episode comes out. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss that one. So make sure you're following us. Uh, and if you're there and you want to leave us a rating or give us a review, we love to read those too. But definitely check back because we're hoping to bring some some heavy hitters to the table the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So Black and Missing mm-hmm. talks about a lot of young women of color who have gone missing in the United States and the dynamic of them not receiving as much media coverage or even just as much recognition about the plight that their families are going through mm-hmm. as, as as white families. Right. So I'm curious when your white adolescent son was watching this, mm-hmm. what his reactions were, Tara. Yeah, I was a little nervous. I mean, I definitely was sitting next to him like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but I'm going to let it ride out. And if I need to stop it, I will. I will say before I talk about his response, one of the things that they do really well in this docuseries is they specifically discuss how, and I'm not going to get it right, so I'm not going to give you the numbers this time, if, comma, when we have Soledad on, I'd love to get into those details. But the rate of women of color and children of color who are taken or go missing is much higher than white kids and and young white women. And they are very good in this docuseries about discussing how that's directly related to cycles of poverty, how that's directly related to racism and the system that it's built on. And they do a great job of showing you exactly why this happens so much in these families. Mm -hmm. And so the last episode really gets into that specific topic. It really talks about the poverty cycles racism, why these families get stuck here. And so Gage was watching that with me. And when it was over, you know, his first comment was that he just doesn't like people. Right. (laughs) And I and I said, well, I same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, do you like people? I go, I don't paint a brush across everybody. I do like people. There are bad people I don't like. So we were kind of talking about that. But one of the interesting things he said after he talked to me about that is he specifically said to me, he goes, being racist just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why people would be treated any differently because to me, a person is a person and I don't know why people treat people that are different badly. And I was, you know, tell me more. I was listening. And then he said, the only reason somebody would treat them differently is if they were manipulated into believing they were different. Mm. He goes, and that's what happens is that parents tell their kids that black people are bad or black people are wrong. And then the kids believe it because it's their parents and it just keeps going and keeps going. What did you say when he said that, Tara? I said, you're not wrong, buddy. You are not wrong. It is a bad cycle where it just keeps getting shared down through generations because people don't stop and ask questions or learn something different. People don't have these uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. I love the way you handled that. (laughs) I do. I was like, I'm just going to listen. You tell me what you're thinking, guy. (laughs) You know, and I think that sometimes parents, when it gets uncomfortable, we don't want to know where it's going. Right. And we stop the conversations or we silence or 
we impose and interpose our own thoughts and beliefs. And right. I think that's what your son was saying. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes we are still dealing with our own stuff and our own gunk. And we put that off on our kids. Yeah. Right. Either a bad experience we may have had with someone who is from a different culture or, yeah. or culturally things that we don't understand. And we may have a stereotype or we may have a bias that we let seep out in conversations mm-hmm. that are absolutely heard and interpreted and sucked up by these little sponges we call children. Right. You've heard the story before. I've told you, but a couple of, of weeks ago, I was driving home and, you know, we live in in North Texas, just north of Dallas, Texas. And there was a a truck that was driving um, by me and the truck had two big flags that were hanging off the back. And one of the flags that was hanging off the back said um, the F word and our president's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one, I can't remember what that flag was. But when I saw this truck, in my mind, I have like this mental bias thinking that it's an older gentleman because mm-hmm. it's a camouflaged Jeep that was converted into a street lane. But it has a truck that's saying F the president of the United States. Yeah. And the car pulled up next to me. The camouflaged Jeep pulled up next to me. And it was a kid. <laughs> Could not have been more than 20 or 21 years old. Yeah. And what that made me think about is kind of what you were saying and sharing with what Gage was saying. Not just manipulation, but the thoughts and the th- and the way that we think about certain issues and the way that we think about things, mm-hmm. we absolutely put that on our kids. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that racism and discrimination and all of the isms have continued to persist is because we as the adults, the adults in the room, have our own thoughts and we impose and interpose it on these children. Right. And that's that generational stuff continuing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because we were watching this show and I remember I was thinking after the fact, I didn't have any problem with him hearing this conversation about these families, what poverty looks like. You know, he was seeing it on the show. You know, most of these the parents, some of the parents in one of the stories, they had all come out of foster care. They were living in a shelter. I mean, there was I didn't have any issue with him seeing that. I was a little bit more concerned about, you know, there are some stories about what sometimes happens to these children when they're taken. And I was a little nervous about gaining into that side of things. But I had no issue with the racism, the poverty conversation, what shelters look like, how that looks for for families. And I remember after the fact being like, I don't know if every parent would have been as comfortable with that. You know what I mean? And and I was like, I I hope I'm not crossing a line here. But then when he started sharing, I'm like, I did the right thing. Yeah. This was a good conversation. This is something for him to consider. Sometimes we as parents, we don't want to have these uncomfortable conversations with our kids. And many times I've had conversations with other mothers who uh, mothers of white children who've who've said to me, well, I don't talk to my kids about race or racism because I don't want to bring that into my home. And I want my kids to be colorblind. Mm. And sometimes, you know, you know me. I I said, do you know who never raises their kids to be colorblind? Parents of people of color. Right. Because we don't have that luxury. Right. And. If you don't see my color, you don't see me. Mm. So rather than shutting down these conversations, let's start having the conversations, but without the lens of a person of color is bad, different, worse than a white person. Right. right? Or without the lens that racism doesn't exist or racism isn't a thing or poverty isn't a cycle that creates more trauma. Like we 
can't pretend that's not true because we don't want our kids to feel bad about it. It is true. It is a fact. And I want him to see that and to process his own opinions and thoughts about why that is and what that means for the decisions he's going to make. But so often we as parents under the guise of protecting our children. Of course. Yeah, it's like, well, I don't want my kids to know what poverty looks like. I don't want them to see that or I don't want them to have bad things happen to them. Right. So we try to insulate them or put them in a bubble Mm -hmm. or move out or homogenize their experience. Mm -hmm. And what that then does is it does not expose them to the realities of this global community that we live in and give them the tools with how to make these decisions on their own about what they want to think as they become adults. I also want Gage to understand that he's not exempt. You know, like we, we drive through North Texas and we have panhandlers here an example. And he has asked me before, like, why are they on the street? Why do they ask for money? And I go, well, there's a lot of different reasons. And we've talked about being homeless. And he's asked me, like, how does someone end up homeless? And we've had a conversation about there's a hundred different reasons. You know, we've talked about mental illness as being part of, we've talked about sometimes it's your choices for any number of reasons. It can happen. And I just... I feel like you lose empathy when you don't recognize that that could be you. Like there is, you are not exempt from these experiences. And the minute you think you are, you lose empathy for those experiences. So I want him to feel that and see that. But here's the thing, Tara. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But when we have situations like racism or gender inequality. Right. People who are in situations of power mm-hmm. are exempt. Like it is so easy for a white person to say, I can never understand what it must be like because they never will understand what it's like. That's Just like true. with men, a man will never know what it's like to be a woman. True. So it is hard. We have to then consciously like create situations mm-hmm. and sort of like forced empathy and forced um, cognizance right. of the experiences of others. Yes. Because you're in a situation where it's like you kind of can empathize and sympathize, but you will never experience what it's like as much as you you love someone as much as you want to be a part of their experience. Yeah. If you are not a part of a marginalized group, you kind of have to force yourself in certain situations true to actively be a part of that. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I absolutely understand what you're saying. And and I I'm hoping that that's what these conversations are doing. Yeah. It's like just forcing the thought. Just consider what that might look like. Agree. Right. He can't have that experience. I understand exactly what you're saying, but I do want him to consider it. Right. Right. And I think like with poverty, I look at my son as like, but for one bad choice, that could be you. Right. But for one unfortunate choice or a decision or circumstance that mm. could be your father and me. Agreed. Right. So these are situations we can absolutely put ourselves in, in places in. And since my son is a black child, like I don't know what it's like to be a black man in America. Mm. Like I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've witnessed it. I love my son who is a black adolescent male who will be 13 next month, but I still will never know what his experience is, which is, a reason why I need to have these conversations with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. 
parenting is really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I just feel like especially I especially when we're trying to be intentional and empathetic and creative. Listen, I'm just gonna give my kid a tennis racket and be like, let's just go to the court. <laughs> Ten thousand hours, you'll be an expert. We're gonna make some money. <laughs> yeah. No, I I would love to at some point in the future have another conversation with you and maybe some other white mothers to talk about like a little bit more deeply, like how you teach kids about racism. Yes. How how we teach white kids about racism. Racism. Yes, because these are not lessons that they're taught in school. These are not lessons that any of us really know how to teach. But, Agreed. And and again, the cycle kind of continues. Yeah, kind of heavier than I would that like to a little heavy conversation <laughs> right there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's weird is sometimes when we finish these conversations, I just go and hug my child a little bit tighter. <laughs> Me too. Do you? I do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And if I wasn't terrified of this pandemic, I would go hug you tight. But <laughs> <laughs> this pandemic don't want us to be great, girl. Don't blame this pandemic. Everybody knows you are not a hugger. Everybody. <laughs> Listen, we all know love language is physical touch. That's not kanji. That's like number five. Number five. <laughs> it is number six out of five. <laughs> it is number six out it's of five. It's at the bottom, bottom. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I would love to hear about something else, like anything else that you're doing. We talked about King Richard. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the docu-series Black and Missing, both of which would highly recommend Mm -hmm. for all families, again, recognizing the black and missing, maybe uh, have some sensitive material for younger people and also would necessitate some conversations. Like, please don't watch these in a bubble. Like, right. And I, and definitely most like with like older kids, older kids. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. It's like five-year-old, four-year-old, anything like that. Not at all. For older kid that can understand it, it's good. Well, what is something that you are watching just for you? So I just finished they had my finale of the Great British Baking Show on Friday. So I just finished that season. Of course you did. It was amazing. Of course you I did. I cried all the way through the episode. <laughs> it was so good. I wish I could get you on this train. You're not going to. I'm I'm going to keep trying. You can try, but <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's like, so much fun. I pass. Uh, but let me just ask you this. Mm-hmm. Were you satisfied with the outcome? I was very satisfied with the outcome. It's interesting. And I won't spoil this for anybody who hasn't watched it because it's still pretty fresh on the finale. But there was a front runner. There was a front runner and then kind of somebody right behind him the whole show and then it kind of started to turn and it just i'll just say it just all came full circle it was fantastic it was fantastic i'm not watching any cooking shows Mm. yeah the only thing i've been watching since thanksgiving has been all of these lifetime christmas movies that is my guilty pleasure every single holiday season so the minute the christmas tree goes up on the day after thanksgiving mm-hmm. in our house <laughs> lifetime movies come on it's the most wonderful time of it the is year. the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year um and any time spent with you tara is the most wonderful time of the year that's true same for you oh thank you <laughs> we should have like a christmas caroling uh podcast episode oh no we were not gonna do that no we're not gonna no, no, we are not gonna, we have a christmas rapping episode <laughs> like not w-r-a-p-p but r-a-p-p no, we're, we're not doing that either listen Come we know on. our we know our strengths and that is not one of them oh, speak for yourself i can rap <laughs> see we got you to show the pod uh, the podcast family your fourth grade haircut mm-hmm. i want to see like oh i want to see some like old dancing footage of you when you were on your, oh, your drill team god do I have that footage? I think I do. I'll Ooh. look around. I just sent some tapes 
to be digitized. So I actually might have some of that footage I could share. What? We'll see. I love it. We'll see. And we will see if we are successful in our attempt to get the phenomenal Soledad O'Brien on as a guest next week. So stay tuned. Make sure that you are following us and that you stay alert. But no matter what, we will be back next week with another new episode of Motherhood in Black and White. As we are winding down this year and we are in the throes of holiday season, let's just remember, y'all, we have so much to be thankful for. And Tara and I, each and every week, are thankful for each and every one of you. Guard your health, mental, physical, and spiritual. Take good care. <laughs>